Welcome back to Kathmandu Kurakani, the British Embassy's podcast on the issues that matter. As you'll definitely know if you've been following the news, the UK is hosting COP26, the world's last best chance to reach agreement on the action needed to avert catastrophic climate change and to support those already experiencing its effects. But is it true that women are particularly vulnerable to climate change? And are those women passive victims of climate change or is there a way that women's empowerment can genuinely change policy and practice? I'm Nicola Pollitt, the British Ambassador to Nepal. Let's talk climate change and gender. So today I'm happy to welcome Bimla Rai, a Member of Parliament here in Nepal. Bimla, tell us about yourself and how you got interested in climate change and the environment. Namaste and thank you for inviting me in this important uh, talk. I am a student of agriculture. I did bachelor's in agriculture. And since then I was closely you know, uh, working in agriculture and other natural resource environment, including forestry and other things. Then I went to UK for master's and did a PhD again from the Netherlands. When I was doing PhD, my research was in community forestry, where I was more involved in community's participation in nature conservation. Especially community forestry is one of the very successful community managed uh, forest management modality in Nepal. And due to my background in research, I went to field to talk to people and I tried to understand what is happening because of climate change, not only because of climate change, but because of other whole development modalities that we have been following in Nepal, you know, because only climate change has not brought many changes in Nepal. And today is Gender Day at COP26. So be really interesting to hear from you what over that wide experience you've seen in terms of the impact of climate change on women, which as I understand it, particularly here in Nepal, but in other countries too, the impact on women can be in some ways greater. So interesting to hear what you've seen in the field and your, and your views on that. I have you know, uh, seen that in Nepal, we have um, three, four major sectors where climate change has uh, affected very badly. Uh, one of them is agriculture. And if you see agriculture, almost 70% of agricultural works are done by women in Nepal. When we were kids, we, we were young, we have seen you know, both father and mother working in the field, brother and sister-in-law working in the field. But uh, nowadays, if you see the field, it's only women because of out-migration of men mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in the city and abroad. Uh, we have seen uh, women more responsible and more uh, managing the agricultural task. And agriculture is one of the very badly affected um, by climate change, affected sector by climate change. And when we talk to women, they see um, long drought, sure. they see um, water scarcity sometimes, you know. A lot of uh, water sources have dried up. I have visited some villages where women used to keep a lot of livestock earlier because they were selling, you know, milk. And nowadays, because of climate change, but maybe also because of many domestic, you know, things that we have done, uh, which is unfair to the environment. Um, because of the lack of um, water, they have sold entire livestock. So that much hardship uh, we have seen in the field. So it's an uh, economic 
a lot of economic impact. A lot of economic impact. But also, you know, um, women have also um, said a lot of uh, increased work burden because of the climate change, I would say, because there are new invasion of, uh, you know, the insects and pests in the village. Because of the earlier, it was men who were doing use of insecticide, pesticides was basically the men's domain. Now women are taking up that lead as well, you know. This time we saw very bad rain in November and uh, all the women's hard work in the paddy field went off. So yeah. it's a very big economic loss yeah. that women farmers, yeah. farmers in general, but you know, women because 70% of workers are women. So um, another sector in Nepal is very badly heat is water that we can see and uh, there also women are primary user of water be it in cooking, watching or domestic use or in kitchen garden or in the um, agricultural field. And uh, loss of water is also another important aspect that women are bearing. Mm. And what about in disaster and risk management? So one of the other effects that we've seen from the recent floods um, was sadly not just the loss of livelihoods in terms of agriculture, but loss of homes and obviously some communities very badly affected by like landslides and floods. Does that have a yes, gender yes. impact too? A lot of, a lot of, because you know, majority, in majority cases, you know, women are in the villages. So whenever disaster hits, it's basically women who are at the front line to save families, to save their households, to save the community, you know. So when disaster hits, very often, we also saw in, uh, during earthquake, more number of women died. And this time also because in the villages, women are in majority. So they have lost you know, life as well as the properties. Another important thing is, you know, in Nepal and in South Asia, basically, women are mainly responsible to provide food in the families. So when they lose grains, when they lose the dried vegetables they store at home to use in these times of scarcity. It's basically women who are in stress because they don't know what to feed to the families, you know. I have seen many very poor families where when you are hungry, you ask women what to eat. You know, you don't ask fathers. And let's talk a bit about the responses then. So I know that the government here has worked for quite a long time on its gender and inclusion strategy in relation to climate change. What does the government response to these impacts need to be in order to help women? What I have seen is in Nepal, we have some good policies. So governments, one of the job is to make a policies responsive to climate change, you know. So um, government has done quite good work in terms of developing uh, policies. Uh, we also have good expertise for the weather prediction as well as we also have uh, insurance schemes to protect farmers. There are a couple of weather forecasting or uh, you know, informing farmers on the forthcoming weathers. These are some of the things that are in the villages. I have also seen a number of initiatives for water protection in the villages, you know, water source protection. In terms of adaptation, um, there are a number of good policies, NAPA and LAPA, KAPA, these all are uh, formed. But uh, when we talk about action, um, one of the questions that I asked this time also, because as, as a member of uh, parliament to the government was, you know, what government was doing when uh, weather forecast department forecasted that after two days there will be heavy rain in these areas. 
and the forecast was sent to Ministry of Home. And how come farmers and chief district officers of those villages didn't know that there will be a very big rain and they need to protect their paddy? Why? So, so getting information out. Lack of information is one of the major challenges for farmers to protect their farms and farm products. So we have very good policies. We have a couple of responses in the field. Uh, you can see climate smart villages are being developed in the field. You know, uh, We have a, a number of uh, insurance schemes going through farmers. We have uh, some technologies being introduced like solar pump, water pump are being introduced. A couple of things are done, but uh, what I see is we are not intervening at a scale in the villages. And uh, lack of information, uh, lack of technologies are some of the major hindrances uh, that women are facing in the villages and we are yet to respond then. And so most of the things that you're talking about are actually responses to the impacts of climate change generally. So you're saying I think the response doesn't necessarily need to be focused on women themselves but general responses by the government to help communities will by definition help support women, is that what you're, you're saying? I think both, you know, uh, many places where we have reached to farm. In many places we haven't reached, okay? So in the cases where we are intervening, when, where we are uh, doing some good job in the field, I can really see number of barriers that women face to access to those services. Mm. Especially when you talk about weather information, how many women are equipped with information technologies. How many women have mobile phone, for example? Nowadays, it is everywhere, but are they literate yeah. to use the weather forecast? You know, number of women are also constrained with lack of technologies. Specifically, I would say women-friendly technologies. Mm. Most of the technologies that we are using now are targeted to men. What we see is it's basically women who do in, work in the farm, but the technologies are not responsive to them. Technologies are meant for you know, head of the household, men, basically. Women also face lack of uh, credit in the field. Yeah, the decision-making role is really interesting, I think, because it applies at so many different levels. And the government has been working on these action plans, so a local action plan, a national action plan. But finding ways to involve women at a very local level, as you say, in the decision-making, which can help both them and the community, it's going to be critical. You know, when we talk about decision making, uh, we, we only see, you know, the, the, the women's participation in community groups. Okay, the women participate in community groups, they are vocal, they take lead, but very often when we talk about household level decision making, it is still with men, mm. very often. Mm. And the challenges that women face nowadays in the rural villages is being de facto manager of the household. You know, because the, all the properties, all the lands, whatever they have, they have in the name of men. Men are not there. So it's, they are managing everything. So being a de facto manager, they need certain things. They need decision-making power, which is, you know, um, with the men whose, in whose name the land is registered, you know. And another thing that uh, women need is skill because they are taking whole responsibilities that men, are, men were earlier doing. Now they are going to the new roles and they lack skills, basically marketing, for example. You know. 
insurance going to people, talking to people, bringing the insurance scheme, credit facilities. And very often we talk about women's participation in decision making in community groups, but women are hardly heard when we make high level policies. How do we link the women's forum that we have created at the community level, how do we link that to macro level policy making processes? so that their experiences, their voices could be, you know, responded at the policy level. So yeah, I see a lot of, you know, challenges. Yeah. The, the women are good at community level when we talk, but they are, you know, women are not that much empowered at household level and women are not that much heard at the macro level. Yeah, very interesting. And I'm sure something that Nepal's development partners should be thinking about themselves and also we should be talking to the government. We'll make sure we have a think about that. And that kind of links the other area of this, which I think is really interesting and worth highlighting, and that is education. And I saw in your biography that you highlight the importance of education across so many different areas and it sounds like this is another area where the importance of educating girls and women plays into so many different areas of their later life. When I joined um, bachelors in Rampur, we were only two women studying agriculture and uh, there were about uh, five six hundred boys and we were only two girls when we started. Now you can see number of women studying agriculture. Forestry was one of the subjects that I wanted to study. But I was told by my family members that no, you cannot study forestry because you need to go to forest and forest is not safe for women. So that was the understanding. Now you see number of for women foresters working, you know. So um, there are improvements in the education system. There are increased number of women participating and studying environmental sciences, studying um, agriculture, forestry, uh, which are more related to uh, uh, climate change nowadays. Still, these sectors are men-dominated, still, though we have been improving. Where I see the problem is, even if women are at the decision-making level, do they have sufficient space to influence policies is one of the questions that I still face. Uh, as a member of parliament, we can be vocal, we talk about that, but I still feel there are a number of women in the bureaucracy which are not, you know, one, they are not given space and authorities, two, they also lack um, skills sometimes, you know, capacity building is still an area that we need to work. And forestry, agriculture, these environmental sectors are still um, you know, male-dominated. Uh, when we were working um, in DFID that time, we advocated for, you know, establishing gender focal desk in all the ministries. And Ministry of Forest was the first ministry which developed gender and social inclusion strategy in government, you know. Nowadays, you can see number of ministries have developed gender and uh, social inclusion strategies separately. Climate change policy is there and climate change also has a separate strategy on gender and social inclusion, you know. So there are things going on. But when you talk about the gender focal desk now, to operationalize that policy, the gender focal desk neither have sufficient human resources, 
nor have a specific terms of reference to do. And they also do not have authority to talk about plans, mm -hmm. budgets, you know. It's, it's basically the planning division which prepares plans and budgets. We are advocating that at least the gender focal desk should have authority and should have power to audit ministry levels, plans and budgets from gender perspective. And Bimla, you're a, you're a member of parliament, so you're in a role as a decision maker in this space. So when we think about the role of women as decision makers in climate change, are there particular things which you think parliamentarians can do as decision makers themselves to help promote climate change and promote some of the change that you've been talking about? Yes, member of parliamentarians have important role to play. In my experience, there are three, four roles that we do, you know. The one is, again, lawmaking. So uh, when we go through lawmaking, we really want to see who is benefited and uh, who will lose from implementation of certain laws. And in that lawmaking, if there are uh, laws related to infrastructure development, if there are laws related to public service commission, or if there are laws related to water, for example, or fundamental um, rights, for example, you know. We see if implementation of that law promotes sustainable development as well as address the women's specific needs and priorities. You know, women are not homogeneous category. So we talk about Dalit women, we talk about disabled women, we, are, we talk about women with marginalized ethnicity, we talk about all the marginalized communities, whether they benefit or lose from certain laws, how do they benefit? Whenever we talk about uh, you know, establishing some mechanisms in law, we talk about whether women are participating, whether women can have their voice. So this is one aspect, lawmaking. The second role that as an MP we play is about you know, oversight of the government works and uh, you know, endorsement of government budgets and government plans. This is where, you know, as a former member of National Planning Commission, I have seen how the plans are developed. I've seen how the budgets are done. So my focus is more on whether the plans are gender responsive, whether the budgets being allocated reach to women and address them. It's not only reaching, it's basically addressing the specific constraints that women are facing in the ground. So this is where we focus. We also talk a lot about whether the government's way of working is hazardous to environment or it promotes sustainable development. So this is also oversight role that yeah. we do. The third element that we are more involved is about representing people's voice. This is where, during this uh, corona pandemic, we spoke a lot about women's reproductive health. We lobbied very strongly to put women's reproductive health as an emergency task during this lockdown period. Similarly, when disaster hits in the field, we talk about disaster response, whether the disaster response is meeting women's and children's and adolescent girls' specific needs and priorities during rescue, during relief during reconstruction initiatives. So we talk a lot about women's specific needs and we ask government to be more responsible, more accountable yeah. to meet gender needs. Yeah. So in all these three, four aspects, 
space where MPs are more active, we bring those issues. Yeah, a really important role for mm. Parliament across exactly. a range of areas, and particularly yeah. for yeah. female during members the, of During the disaster, we also heard about uh, violence against women. Because the women recent were floods, you mean? Yeah, recent floods, as well as the earlier uh, you know, uh, floods, uh, landslides of uh, Sindhupalchak, where the whole communities were uh, you know, washed through. And there we formed a women's member of parliaments groups, and we went to Ministry of uh, Home Affairs, and we started lobbying there to make you know women's specific relief package, women's specific shelter for uh, you know protecting women from violence. So uh, there are a number of initiatives that we have taken, and we do have a very good example of uh, experience uh, during the earthquake. That time also, we found a number of girls were missing from the camp. Uh, they were brought to Kathmandu, they were sold somewhere, you know, a number of children were missing during the disaster. So we actually asked the Ministry of Women to stop transportation of women and girls without proper certificates. Yeah. We also talk about um, women-specific uh, relief packages. You know, the sanitary pad was a big issue. Uh, we also had uh, iron pills that women were using, reproductive health related issues yeah. basically, the lactogen for the children, all those things. It looks like simple, but when disaster hits women, these are the things that they first need to Yeah, no, that's a really good point and a whole different conversation and one perhaps that we should have um, as part of another episode is the link between climate change disasters and gender-based violence. And the 16 days of activism is coming up soon. So we're, we're looking forward to promoting action in that area as well. And we were able to, you know, bring some chances. Because it's not that the main decision makers always want to be insensitive. Mm. It's basically that the issue doesn't come to their mind. So if you have a hammer, if you put this, saying that, look, this is women's specific need, you need to address, then they address it. But you need to have someone constantly <laughs> hammering. And this is what we do yeah. at the Palace. Yeah, oh, such an important role. And tell us from your perspective, what you would like to see the gender day at COP discuss and agree? What are the top issues that you think leaders should be talking about when they think about gender internationally? See, Nicole, I have two things that I would like to highlight. One is changes in mindset. This is in Nepal, and I think it's in global. When we talk about women, we portray women as one of the vulnerable groups, very badly affected. You know, we need to protect them. You need to help them to adapt to the climate change, or we need to make them, you know, resilience. But we hardly talk about women's agency. See, women have separate set of skills, separate set of knowledge, separate set of ability to cope with disaster, to cope with climate change effect. If we, you know, empower them and make their agency utilize, then only we can address climate change issues. We need to shift our mindset from you know, seeing women as one of the vulnerable groups to seeing women as one of the very active agents to respond to climate change. Yeah. So this perspective needs to be changed. And it's not only in Nepal. I have seen this perspective everywhere. So I really want COP26 to change this mindset. 
then only policy makers will be more you know responsive i usually say that the when we talk about women we are not talking only about women as a target group we are talking about you know development about saving this planet if 51% of population are disempowered how do you you know make economic growth social development or climate resilient planet how it's not possible so we need to change this mindset and we need to say that we are not doing it in favor of women we are doing it in favor of ourselves the community the planet we are doing it for economic growth for example for sustainability not only for women if we say that then only we are more responsible to allocate more money allocate money for you know women friendly technologies because then you empower women i usually say you know in agriculture 70% workers are women if you are not empowering 70% farmers working in the field how do you talk about improving food security it's not possible at all this mindset need to be changed so the, the one the second is i still see a lot of gap in technologies a lot of gap in information technologies responsible to you know meet the specific interest and specific need of women so we need to invest on technologies local technologies that are time saving for women labor saving for women empowering women in nepal i see we are very far behind in terms of using technologies so we need to invest on that and for that we need money you know this time 3 4 months ago i was involved in regional level research and i i was you know amazed that we have gender responsive budget you have climate responsive budget but they do not match we don't know out of the budget that we allocate for climate resilience what proportion goes to women we have no idea and when we go to review the gender responsive budget you don't know how much of that budget responds to women's specific need in agriculture in climate change in forestry you don't know so we don't know actually whether we are investing on women in terms of money especially related to climate change so we need to you know resolve this mismatch interesting so yeah two really clear messages for the policymakers at cop empower women and make sure that the funding is going to the women and to help the women as well and establish the systems strengthen the systems that clearly show that what are the women's priorities are we investing are women are equipped with our technologies if not develop technologies and it over the women so that that system i don't see even the monitoring and evaluation outcome monitoring a lot of things that we say but uh, we hardly you know monitor what is going on in women's life well let's hope that these topics are among those discussed at cop and as i've said in many of these conversations it's the implementation and what follows from cop which is also really critical so i hope we can continue to discuss these topics and make sure that some of those views and ideas are heard when the teams get back here as well but thank you very much for your time really interesting hearing your experience thanks for joining us so that was bimla's call to action for policymakers at cop women and girls if given the chance the choice and the voice can help their entire communities they can share experience needs evidence perspectives and concerns and better evidence makes for better policy In short, helping women and girls helps us all. What do you think? 
Share your thoughts with me on Twitter at Nicola Pollett UK or with UK in Nepal on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to like, subscribe and tell your friends and make sure you join us post-COP for the last in the current series.